Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Go to tacticalpermaculture.com for more info. This is going to be the fourth episode of the Tactical Permaculture Show. Ecotopian Realism and the Post-Plastic Continuum, originally published August 19th, 2021. Tonight I feel compelled to talk about something that is... um, is very core and central to my my ideal lifestyle, something that I have been uh, working on and moving towards uh, just a direction for for many years and uh, it's always been a point of compromise it's always been a, a point where I just felt very very far from from actualizing the ideal completely and just would feel like glimpses of it um and what that is is moving towards what i a few ways to few few ways to to uh to term it but one would be a a post-plastic modern modern primitive existence really but post-plastic post um um polymer however technical you want to get with that but it's more than just plastic it's 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 more of a of a uh, like i don't want to i don't want to try to follow any existing standard for some kind of lifestyle meme you know catchphrase or or establish a new one but more talk more broadly more philosophically the ecological philosophical uh, spiritual dimensions, um, which don't always fit in, in, a, in a nice, clean, simple, memeable lifestyle term. So, but it does come mainly down to if I could, if I could uh, intend to uh, invite you on a journey, a, a sort of visualization, meditation journey to, to think differently and and feel differently about uh about the objects that uh that we all in the modern world have become accustomed to and and really um just apply more consciousness and mindfulness to to it so that you you know you come to your own um sensibilities maybe with some added and some added information some added insight and uh you know from my experience and my my research and studies um personally uh it's really come into focus and obviously a lot of a lot of things are there's no more excuse for me there's no more excuse for me to compromise on things now that i have my own land 
And whereas in virtually, if not every previous circumstance of my life, it would be an uphill battle to go against the grain, to go against the momentum of roommates or housemates or friends or family or bandmates or um, just peers, superiors, whoever, uh, strangers, people sharing a building, people um, sharing the urban lifestyle. Um, And there hasn't really been a... There's been zero waste kind of lifestyle experiments, and there's great documentaries. I can't, I can't remember. I mean, I've seen there's there's beautiful, amazing documentaries that go back now, you know, over ten years of um, the first people kind of making really, really well, well produced, self produced uh, documentary films about. Um, what it was like to go without plastic or without disposable um, uh, containers and and just the whole gamut of things that that are that will be considered um, just things that, that are going to fill the landfill that are disposable in in in, a, in, a, in your life and then you know that really brought to the to the fore you know how how much junk most people rely on and um and also how difficult it is to step away from that um it's it's not slightly inconvenient in some ways there's things that are just almost impossible to uh to get around you know in in modern life or in urban life and so um if the ideal if my ultimate in-game, in-state ideal and the thing that I want to direct the rest of my life towards as a as a real uh, in-game life purpose, it's like I imagine ultimately hopefully, hopefully having some good energetic, not too old, <laughs> not too um, uh burnt out years of my life to actually enjoy living in an in state where i'm living peacefully on property that i own um maybe owning many properties or multiple properties and for various projects or various purposes kind of um cycling between them or even seasonally cycling between them but ultimately um if on, at least on one or if if not one or more hopefully more of them actually have adapted the the sort of field craft of survival the field craft the bushcraft um to where maybe i have you know some storage or maybe i have vehicles that i i you know i use to get to get you know between them between the properties but but that ultimately when I'm there, I have the ability to live 100% off of the solar energy that 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 hits the property, the uh, the products of the soil that I that I caretake, and uh, and the harvesting of the rain, cycling of nutrients, and so ultimately, no tool, no piece of clothing, no 
no medicinal um, uh, implement or, or, or medical implement. Basically nothing manufactured, nothing from factories or or whether it's handmade or not, the ideal for me as a sort of um, survival challenge, you know, over the future is like to be able to develop those skills and, and be able to, to know even if it's only one, even if it's the last day of my life that I actually achieve it to get to the point where I say, you know, it would have been really nice. Maybe I'll get, maybe I will have that luxury, but if it's just me, I'm going to think, well, it it could have been done more efficiently and and it would have been very nice and very enjoyable for this process of total rewilding, um, to be fully sheltered, fed, energized, healed, um, etc all of the survival needs be met from from actually what what comes from the land that you that you wildcraft and that you use horticulture to uh to 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 obtain the yields of uh to produce i would be great to do that with a tribe a community a band of nomadic hunter gatherers you know all of those things that are missing but hey if it's if nobody's interested in that or nobody can get along <laughs> long enough to get anywhere n- near getting down that timeline. I know there are people who do and who are, and I applaud them. And you know, maybe I will train with them at some at some point. I I don't know what what having people around me or community really looks like at this point because of you know the extreme um, views that I have and the extreme um, missions that I that I engage in which i think are are extremely alienating um even to the people who really (laughs) like love me you know like they can only go so far so you know i'm i'm at this point content with with that lone wolf um mystique and uh you know i have enough love and friends and connections and people that i'm not like a, a completely cut off um I don't feel at at risk of of like losing touch with being sociable or becoming really sour and really um, misanthropic because I do love a lot of people certainly <laughs> like I love a lot of uh, my my uh, fellow sacred sexuality practitioners and you know the ones who want to get down in in the raw the way that that you read about in the book tantric quest like that's my ideal so if you've read the book tantric quest and you know who davy is i i am an aspirant of that path of tantra which is like the wild yogini the wild yogi someone who can deliver that that mr miyagi experience but from an even deeper um embeddedness in in the wilderness and what's great about I mean, so many, so many of my favorite, uh, you know, martial arts, coming of age, training, fighting the villain, bad guy, story arcs is like, of course, the mentorship with the elder master, but also the embeddedness in nature and the the strategic juxtaposition of like the hyped up modern sportive fighting opponent being the one who's doped up and who's 
on all the machines and connected to all the wires and has all these high-tech things and then versus the soul the spiritual development and the soulfulness and the and the animism and the uh, ancestor worship and 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 all this traditional fabric and ecological fabric of like training in a traditional village or training outdoors at all you know that was a big part of uh of even karate kid was just like the flute music and the you know the spirituality and the and the training in nature and just the, the shots you know the beauty of capturing that so you know i think if i if anyone does like um want to hang out with me and they understand a prim, a more prim a more ancient more more rewilding more primitive view of like what it means to renounce ren, uh, denounce or renunciate material possessions material privilege and and what it means to like have a a really down to earth experience of there is there is no palace to fight over there's no empire to fight over there's horizontal political economy through through a trust architecture um I'm not touching nonprofits anymore uh because of the liabilities and the oversight and the fuckery that happens with that. And so, but with a trust, you know, you have a much more elegant transition point where if people contribute to building a project and they know that the that they become stakeholders and they know that they're holding stake in a future that doesn't that that transcends the founder, that can be structured in many, many different ways. And uh and so I I do believe that like there will be some sort of sweet spot where people who want to whatever get out of the city they're willing to do a hard quarantine, you know, for <laughs> for a few days or a week or two, something I talked about in a previous episode, epidemiological future proofing through um through actually creating air gaps in time between people's exposures. The simple way to put it is no ins and outs, you know, like a club where they they don't want people hanging out drawing attention from the police so they say you know come inside we have a smoking area etc they accommodate you they accommodate you to to do the the more appropriate thing which is to um was which is to have no no ins and outs and certainly there were clubs where when there's a time in my life where i wasn't happy about that because i wanted to go be the miner that was sneaking in with a fake id and go drink beers in in the parking lot and i wanted to go or, or I was older and I just wanted to save money and drink beers in the parking lot or, or, or I wanted to go hang out with people, whatever the case may be, you know, there was always a, uh, an imp- there were many times an impulse to game that system. But as I mature, of course, I, I appreciate it. I understand it for liabilities. I, I did run a bit of a, of an art space venue and then things being in my name, things being on my shoulders, you know, I, I, I felt it for the first time. Oh shit. Like all these people trying to, you know, um, game the system and break the rules. They, they create a huge liability for, for the people who are, who they can't just run off into the night or they, you know, they can't, they're stuck with dealing with, you know, the fines and the landlord and the lease and, you know, and the neighbors and all that stuff. So, you know that that's a, a process of, of maturing and now when i think about like what's a mature approach to going off grid and possibly having you know integrated experiences with people from the outside um i think there's a way to do that 
an intelligent way to do that that buffers against all all types of uh, transmissible diseases. Um, and and for the people who are going back to this topic of of detoxing from plastic and detoxing from junk and um, and this whole this whole mystique of like what it means to to live to go nomadic live out of a backpack uh, go meditate with masters in the, in the Himalayas and not, not know what, what your adventure, I mean, just that spirit of freedom and adventure that, you know, people tend to have earlier in life. And then, and then if they've had enough of the corporate world or their empty nesters or whatever, they can have their, their midlife crisis or their second childhood or, or, or both, you know, by going and doing some daredevil adventure, whether it's a spiritual seeking quest or, or just something totally adrenaline junkie style, but but there's a lot of precedence for the impulse to to do the Walden Pond thing, to do the Thoreau thing, and to to not have it be some really bitter, nasty, foul kind of um prepper in a bunker bullet beans bullets bees and, and ba- bullets beans and band-aids like sort of hyper isolationist thing um but actually something where i mean it is true and i can speak more and more to it every day i miss the city life and all the junk and noise and pollution less and less every day that i spend deep in wild nature with uh, completely off grid where I'm just surrounded and I'm encountered by more and more wildlife and it's more and more of a a weight on my heart if I let one shred of trash like get picked up by the wind and I don't chase after it to go grab it you know (laughs) if I it becomes it becomes a sport to like not let anything modern or synthetic or plastic or garbage like get out of my control and then I I want to keep it contained and then I think about like yeah but then you know sadly I'm just I'm just doing the NIMBY thing not in my backyard just dumping it off somewhere else and certainly my my uh production of of landfill (laughs) trash has has steadily decreased over time pretty consistently over the course of my life as I have shed uh engagements with um with most institutions and i have um you know made a lot of of progress towards buying bulk and reusing containers and not buying stuff single serving with um you know of course you can say non-recyclables and whatnot um there's always that bit of a feel-good pat yourself on the back thing with with recycling i'm not going to I'm, last thing I'm going to do is insult that or, or or denigrate that, of course. But if you're sort of a darker green shade of uh, <laughs> of an environmentalist, then you're going to you know think that's cute and good for you know um, kind of gateway environmentalism or ecology. But but once you kind of you know dig deeper, you realize just the paradox of the whole term of sustainable it's like what are you trying to sustain are you sustaining wildness by really really 
uh, going non-material, anti-material, post-material, post-manufactured, post-plastic, whatever, or are you or are you finding ways to prop up this um, this this inherently unsustainable entire system by just finding pieces of it and and kind of greening them, and so you know. It's utopian to think that you can overnight or in, or, or even in our lifetimes like have a rapid shift to a, a, a to a uh, totally post civilized post industrial uh, future. There's there's um, you're just that's just a pipe dream. Um, and even if it even if it was like an acute apocalyptic Mad Max sort of situation, it's not going to be. Um, it's not gonna, it's gonna be more polluted, more lethal from all of the intensifying wars, and, and so, it's not like it's gonna be enjoyable, you may, uh, (laughs) I mean, I don't know, I don't know if I would have more peace of mind knowing, okay, this, like, solar flare knocks out the grid worldwide to a point where it's pretty much impossible um, I mean, you can't say any, you can't say it's totally impossible because who knows what what uh, one of the billionaires will come up with to kind of like um, surprise us, you know, uh, mass evacuation to to Mars or something like that. Who knows? But uh, so I won't say anything's impossible, but I definitely know that there are catastrophic events that could, yeah pummel us back into the stone age but that (laughs) to go from here to there if you watch the documentary series i believe was history channel called life after people life after people it was a multi-part series and then it was based on a book called the world without us i think is what it was and then there was a a sort of um i don't want to call it a knockoff but there was another there was another network created a, a, a version called uh um aftermath population zero i think is what it's called and that one actually had even sharper teeth when it got into what happens if we don't we were not able to manage um the the uh the cooling of reactors um and just the sort of meltdown and the chemicals that are going to be released like it's not going to be pretty so there is no like (laughs) there is no romantic industrial collapse i remember the slogans visualize industrial collapse well you might visualize it but you're going to be putting on rose-colored glasses and you're not going to you know that doesn't say you know imagine you're not you're not visualizing this what it's going to smell like how it's going to feel how horrific it's going to be how traumatic it's going to be for all hell to break loose um on all these spheres so there is going to be an arc. People say, you know, it took us thousands of years to get here. It'll take us at least thousands of years to actually, if we really wanted to, actually be authentically sustainable. Um, but, and so then you get into this philosophical philosophical trap of, like, deep nihilism of, well, if I can't, if it's just all going to be, like, this half-assed pipe dream experience in my lifetime why even bother you know why bother putting up this symbolic um protest or the symbolic like lifestyle 
um, you know, anarchists would call it lifestyle anarchism. Oh, you, you're, you're kind of being hedonistic and you're not being hardcore enough of a militant revolutionary if you just want to like feng shui your life and have your little garden and have your little your little personal anarchy like that's such a privilege because most people don't have that option they have to fight for everything every second of every day and uh, they can't just put themselves in a little green anarchy bubble um and that's i i, I used to be a, a strong proponent of that and now I've, I've you could say i moderated my slogans or i i grew up a bit and i realized that uh you know, there's. If I were in a context where where being a warfighter was like a national sport, and um, you're pretty much born born to die, you're born to give up your life in that sort of combat, and there's actually like um, cultural infrastructure to support that. Maybe maybe I would be in the maybe I would be like a fighter, like like the the uh, the Zapatistas in Chiapas, Mexico. Um, is it appropriate for me to go and join a movement like that? There's a lot of people that certainly do, and a lot of people certainly, as we've seen, they've joined some pretty unecological and un um, and pretty authoritarian organizations for that purpose. Um, is it a form of being a wannabe or a poser or a colonizer or... It, to go and like um, join forces with with freedom fighters that that maybe are more more truly um, egalitarian. I, I I don't know. I'm not going to take that away from anybody, but I will say like maybe if that's you have that fantasy, maybe that'll be your next life. Maybe that'll be my next life. The reality is, in this life, I have certain privileges that people in other contexts don't have. So there's an interesting sort of philosophical inner dialogue around how do you maximize your potential to affect positive change um, given given the training you have. Like, I, I, I'm somewhat educated. I was... I, I, this government taught me to read you know um i have some skills i have some training I have some knowledge i have social capital even tony robbins one time you know kind of broke it down it's just like people that think he'll put you to shame basically by showing you the stories telling you the stories of people who have overcome such great hardships and have made millions, lost millions, made millions again while having been burned or maimed or something and then they just have the spirit. So like you have no excuse to say that you, you know, are are under, well, that uh, you don't have opportunities for the most part almost anywhere under any circumstances. And, and so he could show you examples of people from all different walks of life all different nationalities, all different backgrounds and degrees of suffering and hardship who did succeed at, what, at whatever their goals were. And so <laughs> so there's that aspect of like, yeah, there's no excuse. Um, and then there's the aspect of like, he went through this one rant that was like, just list all of the things that you take for granted about the skills you have, the training you have, the 
those different forms of capital that you possess. So even if you were dead broke and depressed and had no transport, whatever, it's like, hey, did you, if, if you have a driver's license, that is a huge uh, advantage over people who don't. If you, if you know how to drive, if you were ever taught how to drive, like there's so many things that, that you could be lacking that you'd probably don't lack. If you're, if, you know, if you're listening to this, you probably have, you know, a decent amount of things. Um, I certainly have nothing to ever really, um, you know, I mean, I can, there's reasons why I can have self-pity, but, you know, things I've been victimized by, but, but if I say, well, does that mean that I have an excuse to fail at life or to not achieve my dreams? No, it doesn't because people who've suffered worse than I have, have, have achieved more than I have. So, um, so that, that always helps to put things in perspective. And, uh, so with that said, you know, um, if, if a goal is is something like um, I don't care what anyone thinks of me, I don't care whether or not I save the world or I save anything else for my own sanity, for my own pleasure, for my own sense of accomplishing my goals and transcending my traumas, I want to live in my ecotopia, even if it's by myself or with limited contact with people who come through on a limited basis and, and operate under certain um, consensual agreed to conditions of like your phone goes into a Faraday bag and there's and you don't take pictures and you don't and you actually break contact with with that, those addictions coming from using devices that that's something that is pretty pretty well established now like digital detox type experiences and then beyond that of course you have basic like hiking and camping etiquette of leave no trace or leave a place better than that better than you found it certainly don't be littering and actually be mindful of like even the types of food products you bring in and how they might affect the ecosystem if you were to throw them throw them out and how you might be messing with the, the, the delicate balance of, of competition among species, that's something I think about a lot, just even with composting and things like what, studying. I've seen, I've seen rodent fights over scraps that I put out, and, you know, I have to wonder what's, what, what, what are the ethics of that, and, and how do I introduce myself to all these critters in this ecosystem and then like I will be enhancing it I already know that I'm enhancing it by bringing in moisture that wasn't there before bringing in um, scrap my own scrap food and then ultimately building habitat creating shade like there's there's a million ways where I'm going to be enhancing the ecosystem but every step along the way is going to disrupt things that were that were already happening so anyway that, that that's kind of another topic but the topic of like moving in the direction to where there are no eyesores in my field of vision and to me call me you know a snob or call me privileged or whatever it's um it's it's almost a no-brainer to say and 
I've heard, I'm not a feng shui master. I don't think I will ever get like a certification or anything in that. But understanding just the tiniest bit about it by glancing at books and videos and whatnot and having some sense of it and just feeling like I don't even need to culturally appropriate that term and I can say I just like to have a sensibility to where I know and I'm aware that if I'm looking, if my gaze is spanning the 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 wider the 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 panning of my gaze where there are no eyesores of anything that i know was derived in a manner that exploited human labor that poisoned the environment that will continually poison the environment as it breaks down or doesn't break down or partially breaks down i don't think about it consciously i don't think like oh i can identify every chemical <laughs> every synthetic human-made chemical compound in, in any little bit of trash I see or any little any little manufactured um, product that I see, I don't have that level of insight and I don't need it. I just feel the vibration of being sort of like a an empath, the way people talk about being empathic if they go to a hospital or like they can't, you know, they can't be around people who are really you know anxious or really neurotic because they just absorb that energy well i'm not going to say like i'm a toxin empath there are certainly people who are hyper sensitive to toxins breathing them and they can't go in certain places i'm 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 somewhere on that spectrum i'm not going to freak out like if i go in somewhere and there's fluorescent light i will get i will do what i got to do in there i will not thoroughly enjoy it but i won't be like <laughs> like i'm a vampire melting in the sun or something like that i'm not gonna lose my mind over it at least not right away but it's also a cumulative thing and and the more you strip away from that the numbing and the armoring that you get when you're constantly exposed to it if you get away from it you come back and then it's more acute so i, I like the idea of less and less eyesores and more and more, uh, I'm, I'm eating out of something that's not poisoning me, it's not an eyesore, it doesn't have this toxic legacy that I can't deal with. And, and, and so, so obviously the most, the, the most egregious, well, it's not, it's, not like the, it's not like it's the worst thing in the world, but in some ways it kind of is because it's so ubiquitous and it's so cumulative and it is considered to be so acceptable and, and and even though there's alternatives to like disposable plastic silverware for restaurants and things and compostable kind of like that's great all that's great um and it's a good start and i'm i applaud all of that uh but if it's like uh well not even but but and moving in a direction of that I that I have been for many years of like I wanna I want to drink out of glass or stainless steel, and um, glasses seems to be deeper, or or, or ceramics. You know, if you want to go even further back, but so those are those are natural materials, and so I guess you could say, if I'm do, understanding correctly, probably ceramics, and then and then glass and then metal and each of those represents more intensive human engineering and and altering the environment to create 
to create the tooling and the you know the 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 workspaces in order for that to be to be in production and certainly they each have different um social impacts and and, and ecological footprints in production but but if if um you know so all those things can be compared so if you wanted to have like the most ethical the most karmically correct and the most biodegradable sort of um kitchen you know what i mean then then that could be a lifestyle um experiment and uh and so i'm yeah i'm in the process of shedding that one kind of one or a few things at a time and then just not wanting to go back so you know on this land there's some tumbleweeds of plastic kind of garbage that comes from just all of the it's just you know it's just a kind of like driftwood desert driftwood of of like um plastic bags and soda cans and uh other you know random stuff um cardboard and whatnot um and I, I round it up. It's it's kind of like I could see it being a pastime, you know, like well, what the, what what uh, what random junk, sort of desert tumbleweed junk, kind of drifted, drifted in this direction, and then um, see if I can make any use of it. If not, you know, I will I will pack it out of here, uh, you know, on, in, in a cycle. But um, but I don't. I don't want to be adding to that burden, and and uh, and so how, and and also I see. Okay, there's what besides the random tumbleweeds of of plastic junk that 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 comes in with the wind. What what, what is here? That's like the archaeology of the of the use here. There's like obviously you know it's it's rural area. So there's like. There's uh, shotgun shells and uh, and beer cans and beer broken beer bottles and glass and and old tin cans and and you can kind of see the stratigraphy, if you will, of the different eras of Coca-Cola packaging and uh, and beer logos and uh, and cans of beans and things. So. Um, it, it, that's always interesting to see there's not there's actually thankfully there's not that much of it that i found but there's enough to be like well every time i go and and hike around i come back with you know a bucket or a handful not a whole bucket full but i'll i'll, I'll gather up i'll always make sure i come back with with a few shards of glass or, or a can or two or whatever but i think about like well th- this stuff doesn't poison the environment as it breaks down the rusty the the slow rusting of of um of soup cans or bean cans or whatever they it be, it's a hazard because certainly you would not want to get snagged on that so you got to be mindful um even wearing boots and pants and whatnot uh you know you could be it could be a cause of tripping and whatnot but uh, but that would be a, a nasty um nasty thing to get snagged on so i'm not i'm not thrilled about it and i do i do obviously uh work to to get rid of that stuff um and then i ask myself well if i'm transitioning towards post-plastic um what what is my legacy going to be if i 
if I end up like one of these other people where they had their little like cabin homestead or whatever and then they disappear or they die or whatever happens abducted by aliens or whatever and they and and then there's just like literally like when I got here there was literally a corpse of a shack that had furniture and had walls and had windows and all the trimmings and was maybe something from the 60s or 70s possibly I don't really know but um but it was literally like it was like a tornado hit it 50 years ago and it was just like it had just been just been uh bullied around by by windstorms and sandstorms ever since but it was pretty much like just completely collapsed to the ground and so all there so all there is is just these remnants you know and and i just it feels like the the broken glass just never ends you know it keeps blowing up the dust will go one way the sand will go another way and there's another layer of more shards of glass everywhere so i could see myself you know till the end of time i'll be i'll be i'll be uh picking glass pieces out of this place but uh but but to me at least with that as long as I'm mindful, and it is a mindful a mindfulness meditation to be dealing with this debris. Um, it's not it's not really that much. I mean, it was a tiny kind of a shack, but surprisingly, it kind of just feels like it goes on forever. I'm glad it's not more. I'm glad it's not like a whole ghost town or something. But um, but when I think about like, okay, so what am I going to bring here, and what what's going to be left behind if I don't live forever, or whatever? And it's like, okay, if it was more broken glass and more, more um, rusting uh, tin cans or aluminum cans or whatever they, whatever they're making them out of now, yeah, there's probably some, hopefully, more green than not ish liners to some of the cans, which I don't feel great about, which introduces that that sort of toxin. Um, on top of the metal but with but you know that's a compromise I'm willing to make if I shift towards what I've been doing which is like not buying food in plastic eventually yeah I know how to grow I know how to grow all my own food I have grown significant portions of my food in previous locations which I did not own and which were destined to to uh to transform shall i say i'm not gonna there's a lot of there's shadow with like oh there were breakups there were falling outs there were uh, all kinds of different reasons why those storylines ended and i could have said i wish i would have stayed i wish i could have been there forever but but ultimately i wasn't run you know it wasn't my gig it wasn't my it wasn't my land it wasn't my property whatever so i didn't i didn't have um the freedom or the luxury to 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 do things my way um however that sounds i mean uh, the beautiful thing that too about a rural living like sort of a more realistic less idealistic ecotopian vision w- w- is simply simply to have instead of people living together on one one piece of property and making that into a commune where everybody's fighting and everyone's interests and and stake and seniority and future vested interest and energy input and 
donations made, all those things to, to have politicking and power struggles over, you immediately eliminate that if you uh, have go from the commune model to the neighborhood model or uh, to where people own their parcels. It's everyone has a separate autonomous individual relationship between themselves and the state uh, which limits liability of, of, of your friend of, of your neighbors but you could have all the people all the people who I, who I ever wanted to have the perfect you know back to the land commune with in my teens and 20s where we were totally utopian peak utopianism and you could not have told us that we wouldn't be getting along forever and ever drunken orgies and and sw- swinging and you know <laughs> skinny dipping together and growing food together and playing in bands together like there i i was a, i have definitely was associated with people who were living that dream and 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 uh i never personally got to be as deep as I as I I was envious and jealous of my friends who were deeper into that rural back to the land communal kind of punk tribal thing I kind of was more of a documentarian observer but I I wanted to lean towards that but because I was in bands it was always like but I gotta live in the city if we're gonna do this band and we're gonna take it all the way or whatever so so I never really could break free but I know a lot of a lot of my friends when they were in their 20s they had a lot of fun but it didn't last. It didn't often last for a lot of reasons. A lot of it does come down to relationships failing, personality conflicts, funding running out, having to go to the city to get jobs, people eventually having kids and then realizing they're going to have more problems with the state if they don't, if they don't capitulate to, if if not the public school, capitulate to vaccines or capitulate to, um, to just having to hustle to uh, to just put food on the table so you know a lot of the math doesn't add up for the utopian commune thing but now in you know almost two decades later from those those utopian um kind of uh fantasy experiences the more realistic thing and i credit this to uh to to jack spirko again and 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 his uh community is like this paradigm shift where people learn their lesson about that kind of like um, a very, very fantasy utopian ideal of 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 uh, of of, co- of a communal existence, and actually just like pretty elegant, pretty simple, powerful paradigm shift to say, own your own property, have neighbors buy property adjacent or nearby and then you can still have like pretty much the best of both worlds you can still share tools you can still raise a barn you can still have a a community center uh you can still share farmland you could still have limited very functionally specific um shared owned co-op owned parcels of land but best not to not be also living on those places like live on your own homestead plot that you own the title to and that you have a have a one-to-one relationship between you and the state and then the people who you would have been fighting over 
10, 20, 50 people on the same piece of property where everyone makes everybody, puts everyone else at risk because of liability, you can eliminate all that. And uh, and I think that is a very elegant design and I'm not going to, I'm, I'm never going to want to go back to not doing that. And we'll see, <laughs> we'll see if I end up with cool neighbors that, uh, you know, that want to do their thing and hey they could do the i'm gonna do the 100 percent plastic eyesore project just to troll him but i'm gonna but i'm gonna i'm gonna take it to the next level and i'm going to bio remediate micro myco remediate all of the plastic as it breaks down by using mushrooms to do it and there's there's uh i'll read an article a little, well, a little brief part of an article right now, which is like uh, <laughs> very on point with uh, with all the things that are near and dear to my heart. So, plastic-eating fungi found in the Amazon may solve world's waste problem. A group of students and professors from Yale University have found a fungi in the Amazon rain, Amazon rainforest that can degrade and utilize the common plastic polyurethane. As part of the university's rainforest expedition, a laboratory educational program designed to engage undergraduate students in discovery-based research, the group researched for plants and cultured the microorganisms within their tissue. Several active organisms were identified, including two distinct isolates of Pestilatiopsis microspora, with the ability to efficiently degrade and utilize PUR as a sole carbon source when grown anaerobically, a unique observation among reported PUR biodegradation activities. Polyurethane is a big part of our mounting waste problem, and this is and this is a new possible solution for managing it. The fungi can survive on polyurethane alone and is ultimately able to do so in an oxygen-free environment. The Yale University team has published its findings in the article Biodegradation of Polyester Polyurethane by endophytic fungi for the applied and environmental microbiology journal and that this article was in 2012 so i'm sure thanks to people like paul stamets uh the mushroom uh eco warrior par excellence um i'm sure that there's far more exciting new developments since that article came out but you know that that headline kind of says it all um does that mean I'm saying we can have our cake and eat it too? And so, you know, go ahead and make all the plastic you want because the mushrooms will eat it. Uh, no, I'm still very strictly having a code of ethics where I want all of this, where I want a non-toxic world. I want toxic behavior, toxic uh, chemicals, processes to to stop immediately and um, and... On a lot of indicators, people would say it's even, well, it's too late, but too late for what? Nothing's really too late for, for, for fungus to kind of bioremediate. I mean, give them, the more time, the merrier as far as they're concerned. You know, it's like, uh, what, no sunlight for, for thousands of years uh, because of a nuclear winter or asteroid or whatever strike, like tens... I don't know. I don't know how long those prehistoric um, blackouts have lasted, <laughs> but um, but as far as the you know non photosynthesizing miracle of life that fungi are, and then this is even anaerobic. I mean, 
you don't have to be, you know, a mycologist to, uh, to, 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 to start to really enjoy the, 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 the visualization of that prospect of like, wow, yeah, mushrooms can, can clean up oil spills. They can eat plastic. They, they can, um, create a, a net benefit and then even have surprising enough you know they could be i'm not don't quote me on this and <laughs> you have to do your own research but uh but yeah you can take a toxic brownfield stuff it with mushrooms give it a substrate you know if, if necessary to kickstart it and then end up with a with a viable compost product or a viable food product or viable medicinal product and again don't quote me on exactly which species to deploy for which environmental toxin or 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 pollutant but uh but that's the magic i mean that's that's as magical as um seeing uh you know (laughs) alice in wonderland or whatever so talk about magic but um but i i'm i'm hopeful that uh everyone can do their parts and you know people can um hopefully move in a direction towards understanding the personal value of having less eyesores taking for granted less things just being plastic by default you know uh there if you have to have this or that kitchen appliance there's usually a stainless steel alternative which is not going to be leaching uh plastic into into food and if, if you if you have no critique whatsoever of plastic uh the, the documentary Plastic Planet, I believe it's you can search for it and find it for free online to watch. That was the one that really set me off, and I had the I had the the, the beautiful privilege and luxury to be in a relationship with a, a very wealthy, very well established interior designer and construction project manager who, when she built her castle, her queendom. It was the most beautiful, like all natural materials, no eyesores, very rustic, very like Tex-Mex design with um, all of the roofing and the tiling and uh, the large um, timber and whatnot. And, you know, I'm not saying I would do the same thing. If anything, my style is like bamboo and and uh and bailing wire uh and uh and a tin you know tin roofs but um but she had no she had pretty unlimited budget blue sky budget to make her dream home and it was and it was in that home that um that that we or that i joined forces in 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 a ceremonial community facilitated a lot of healing for a lot of people including myself had a beautiful, loving relationship, one of the best of my life, and we were nestled in a beautiful um, forest ecology, and I got to do some of the best permaculture of my life, and and we really were able to to maintain that like rustic, pre-plastic, very beautiful, very elegant design, and and you know, there's certainly. If you buy everything stainless steel, it's going to get very expensive. But if you find, if you can scavenge jugs for water, which I've been living out of for years now. I mean, I started homebrewing cider and then mead and those 
those those cider i would just get cider already pasteurized apple cider already pasteurized in the glass jugs and just add the uh the yeast to it with an airlock and then from a few days to a couple weeks depending on the time of year and the temperature you know i had my batch and then so i accumulated a bunch of glass uh jars and glass jugs to drink out of for my daily water supply um and then that that solved that problem and i didn't have to buy i do have stainless steel bottles but uh but but that's just one example and then another example is like okay i'm not growing all my food yet that means i still have to buy food i'll try to do it in bulk i'll try to do it uh you know as eco as i can but but then even even organic products or bulk products and whatnot there's still going to be a lot of plastic so i decided i'm going to make some trade-offs and say well what if i only buy food containers that um that i can reuse as biodegradable non-toxic or almost completely non-toxic um nursery pots you know so instead of what i've always been compromising with which is like yeah okay i'm doing the right thing i'm going i go to the nursery I buy some flats, I buy some six packs or whatever and I have all this plastic and I'll just stack it up and I'll keep it and I'll just reuse it and that's great. But even then I see that break apart in the sun and fall apart and just lose track of it. Tarps. I mean, if you've ever had to pick up a tarp that's been in, that's been out for a couple seasons and then it just completely falls apart, gets in all of your whatever gets in whatever you were you're going to take some clean compost and then it's got all this tarp shards in it and it's just I just feel it it's just disgusting to me it's demoralizing I I don't want to bring that onto this property now that I have it. and it's a very clean slate you know it's not something I've been I mean most properties I've been to rural and urban they've had so much junk and trash and it's just like no there's I mean I did my best to to clean it up and and organize it and get rid of junk and dump runs and recycling and giveaways and whatever but and re upcycling and things but it felt like it was never ending like it felt like it was never ending seeing half buried plastic junk everywhere broken buckets broken it's just so but here it's different here there really is only old old broken glass and old tin food you know tin aluminum food cans um and just nothing but pristine wilderness and you know it's uh that that much more of a of a of a sense of like this is really a clean slate this is really a, a clean canvas and so any any corner that i cut with bringing any plastic here assuming like oh well i'm going to manage it and i'm going to make sure it doesn't just fall apart but how in this sun you know i know that it's a limited lifespan even less i have even less time to like transition from this this plastic umbilical cord to get myself established here and then to um you know to get rid of that plastic before it becomes a nightmare to deal with and replace it all with glass metal ceramics natural fabrics and ultimately have all that stuff be replaced by stuff that i 
that I'm able to produce completely off the land, whether it's basketry from weaving fibers that I grow um, or uh, doing very interesting things with like banana leaves for, for, for harvesting water. I mean, it is, this is all stuff that's been very well precedented in, in, in so many uh, beautiful cultures throughout all time before the industrial chemical ag, chem ag and chem and what do they call it big big all these big industrial uh, processes came into play and even if you know going back to the philosophy and the lifestyle thing it's like even if i'm just being an escapist and a lifestylist to have my little you know bubble green anarchy bubble land um for one it's <laughs> even if it's just a even if it's just a, a microcosm, um, it is leading by example. It is being the change you want to see in the world. And it is also on a spiritual level, if you're happier where you are, you're creating a more positive vibration. And that, that transcends space and time. And it also affects very viscerally uh, and subtly all of your relations. So I think that underestimating the value of like um, really really curating your external environment so that it feeds back health and wellness and positivity um and you know there's probably a lot of things um i mean yeah there's there's nobody can argue that it's not better to like not have any network devices where you sleep you know what i mean i think most people i know including myself um for various reasons um, either it's addiction or convenience or in for, also for security and safety um, you know, there's reasons why I'm not going to be too far from an electronic communication device where I'm at um, unless there's people who, who have my back nearby because I'm very, I'm very vulnerable under these circumstances um, so I could be like a Matthew Broderick and Lady Hawk where he thinks that he's someone's stalking him in the forest and he starts making up fake fake conversations with all of his friends that are hiking with him that his imaginary friends and talking about all the weapons that they have uh, no I, I don't I don't have any highly weaponized imaginary friends nor do I have an ambulance parked outside nor do I have um, you know a, a a lover who is a, a, a nurse and a seasoned ER veteran. So because of those things, I'm going to be a little extra tactical, a little extra medical, a little extra, you know, on the comms and, um, and, and, and so, you know, you, everyone has to make their own, their own decision and compromise. But I guess the point I wanted to make is that, uh, starting to evaluate and make an inventory and then start to play with the notion of like how does it feel if you can you know if you if, if it's appropriate how does it feel to not have any network devices around you when you sleep or or turn everything off or um or do a digital detox of sorts or or go to a go to have a picnic have a not have a non-plastic picnic you know and get a wooden 
picnic basket with with cloth and use only only non-plastic um, utensils and and uh, and and di- uh, dishes and whatnot and serving containers and and whatnot and uh, maybe that's something you never thought of before maybe that's something you never done before. Um, I can speak from experience and say it is a beautiful shift that occurs um, and it is it's it's a compounding incremental thing and every day as I see my stash of cans build up and my my replacement with of plastic with metal um, again I'm not saying metal is perfect or that it doesn't have its own footprint or doesn't have its own karmic footprint but until until you get to until i get to the end point where i say i i have everything i use everything i have in my life i earned it honorably nobly sustainably with the real-time solar budget with only the sun that landed only the rain that landed and only the soil that i that i um perform the magical alchemical process of, of um, dancing with uh, the sun and the rain and the soil and the wildlife and then everything that I use, everything that I am, everything, every cell, my body remineralized, every new cell is completely free of any of that um, legacy and uh, of course there'll be toxins in the air and you won't be able to avoid all of the all of the external factors but um but if you really wanted to if i really wanted to i could i could relocate somewhere so remote that i almost never never see hear, or feel or experience anything but the slightest trace amounts of pollutants that you know you can't escape from anywhere in the world but um yeah going back to devi and tantric quest learning to be in the Tao of nature, learning to shed all of the baggage and all of the imprints and all of the traumas and uh, and anxieties and neuroses that come from urbanization. Yeah, I mean, I just, to me, I, just, I mean, I'm not putting it down by any means. You can bring the light anywhere. I'm not preaching about any of that stuff. But I'll definitely say, um, you know, if I had a choice between a, a yoga studio on the ground floor and, the, and a yoga studio on a rooftop garden, I'm going to go for the rooftop garden. If I have a choice between the rooftop garden, yoga studio, and yoga at the beach, I'm going to do yoga at the beach. You know, if I can <laughs> have it be, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that's, that's just always um, moving along that continuum. And, uh, and certainly... If you have clever life hacks about shedding plastics, shedding synthetics, shedding chemicals, um, moving towards DIY, 100% DIY, 100% local, 100% your own handmade wares, um, that'll be that'll be the, the 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 focus of the rest of my life, and 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 I'll, I won't have any excuses or have any compromises hopefully knock on bamboo that stays the case but for now i've ha- i have more freedom more 
less limits on on fulfilling that and and I'm making this commitment to myself to move to move along that continuum um gracefully and uh you know maybe next time you hear from me it'll be it'll be a wire and a <laughs> a wire and two tin cans like like uh you would have connected two tree houses you know uh maybe or or I'll send smoke signals or something but uh but I, I love I love that idea, and uh, doesn't I doesn't require changing anybody else or forcing the world to change faster than, than it's going to change, and you know maybe I'll go down with the ship with all of the bad decisions of other people and other industries like not slowing down a bit, but at least every day I'll be happier, healthier, and. Uh, and moving moving closer towards that that end state and you know the more successful more efficient more more um i don't want to say the faster because i don't want to i don't want to put too much pressure on it but um but i will hope and pray that uh you know i can safely gracefully move in that direction and spend the bulk of the rest of my life being much closer to a 100 percent hyper local self-sufficient handmade DIY existence and um I have I have no excuses anymore to uh to lean on <laughs> the uh on this on the prefabricated world um so yeah I think it's going to be hauling the last bits out over time and and only bringing in stuff that I'm that I'm happy to look at, happy to eat out of, <laughs> happy to be my furniture or whatever, and and building materials and and whatnot, and uh, and would be okay with with ever having to abandon it and just let it go back to to the earth. That it's uh, at the wor- at worst case scenario, it becomes a tripping hazard or a you know a something you could get nicked on but but it's not going to um it's not going to mess things up at at a deeper level of biochemistry so with that said um hope you've enjoyed this little journey and uh again please definitely watch plastic planet um and there are others certainly that's an oldie but a goodie and I think if you watch that you'll be more than you'll have more than a lifetime's worth of of sense of um, responsibility to join that fight on whatever level and if nothing else just by getting some mason jars or or, or even going in the <laughs> going in the, the neighbor's trash and getting out whatever glass you can and sanitizing it and and moving in that direction um but yeah (laughs) good luck and uh and take care